Good to be together. My name is Phil, the lead pastor here for those who may be new or visiting or just tuning in online today. Would you join me in prayer as we take some time to center our hearts before the word today? God, we pray that you would be lifting up in the, lifted up in the reading of your word. Like Martha, some of us come today distracted, worried. I pray that in this space we would be able to be still and know that you are God, that we would be able to sit at your feet and listen to what you have to say. So, Lord, would you bless now the reading of your word, we pray in your name. Amen. Well, I'm wondering how you respond to this text today. As I've been talking with a number of people this week, I've noticed a, a common concern that we bring after an initial read of this story. It's natural for us to want to come to Martha's defense, I think. We wonder why Jesus is confronting her for really trying to put on a meal and be hospitable. Upon first read, it poses some questions for us. Why, why is Jesus uh, confronting her for asking for help to make a meal? Is not hospitality a good thing? Uh, isn't that something that we should be about? Uh, so we, I, I don't know about you, but I sometimes have this initial reflex of questions, uh, of misunderstanding what Jesus is trying to say in this text. I was thinking about a contemporary scenario that might evoke a similar situation for us. And I was imagining that I was at home and Julie was putting together dinner, and the twins started having a meltdown. Now imagine she said, hey, Phil, can you come help? I'm, I'm kind of drowning here. And if, if I said in that moment, sorry, hon, I'm having a really good prayer time, and I actually think that I have chosen the better way here, right? That's, <laughs> that would be a bad husband move, just to be very clear, just uh, some free uh, marriage advice there, right? But that's how this story, I think, initially hits us. We're wondering why Jesus is responding to Martha the way that he is. Is hospitality not an important thing? Why isn't Mary helping? Twelve people have just arrived. She's trying to put on a meal. And so this creates perhaps some confusion for us. I want to speak into that confusion and just be very clear that Jesus, I believe, is not saying or teaching in this text that we should abandon our duties, that we shouldn't sacrificially serve, that we shouldn't be hospitable. What's really interesting is that the the parable or the story that directly precedes this in the Gospel of Luke is the parable of the Good Samaritan. And in that text, we see a very different point being elevated. It, It is promoting sacrificial service, giving of ourselves for someone in need, And so one writer puts it this way. It poses an interesting question to us. This is Fred Craddock. If we were to ask Jesus which example applies to us, the Good Samaritan or Mary, his answer would probably be yes. His answer would probably be yes. This isn't an either-or thing. and It's an example of why it's important for us to place Scripture in its broader context. We could pull out a, a story and get imbalanced by focusing on just one part of the scriptures. I actually think Luke is doing something very intentional in the compiling of his gospel as he has placed together or juxtaposed the Good Samaritan story with the Mary Martha story. 
I wonder in, in his writing and compiling of these texts, he thought, you know, after I'd, I tell the Good Samaritan story, we might need to counterbalance that and make sure people don't now go out and just burn themselves out and have no boundaries and try and be a Messiah and do all these amazing things without tending to their soul. It's almost like we need the Mary story to counteract the Good Samaritan story so that we discover our capacity to love others well. In order for us to live into that vocation of service and hospitality, we need to protect that one thing that is needed, that source of love, that source of grace by sitting at the feet of Jesus. You see, the concern with Martha is not her hospitality or her desire to to serve and make a meal. The the concern we're going to notice in this story is that there are all kinds of barriers that are getting in the way of her attending to the presence of Christ in her midst. And that there is a danger that the frenzy of activity and all the social expectations of the day are going to crowd out being attentive to the fact that Jesus is in her midst. And so what I want to notice in this text today is what some of these barriers are that are getting in the way of Martha spending time with Jesus. And notice how some of these barriers, I think, are at work in our experience as well. My prayer is that through the telling of this story, we might again discover this invitation to go and sit at the feet of Jesus. So there is a God even here in our midst now who wants us to come to be still, to listen, and to learn. So we notice uh, some of these barriers to sitting with Jesus. And the first barrier that it's named in our text is the barrier of distractions. Of distractions. So we read in verse 40, But Martha was distracted by all of her preparations. Distractions. This Greek word is sometimes translated to be pulled in many directions. It's a helpful image and perhaps one that you can relate to. Do you come today perhaps feeling just pulled in all kinds of directions in such a way that it's hard for you to actually be still and sit and listen? Now, what I notice in this text is that if distraction was a problem 2,000 years ago, how much more do we need to attend to this issue of distraction? I was imagining what a contemporary reading of this story might look like today. Imagine Martha, on top of all the pots on the stove and all those preparations, also had a smartphone, right? I just imagine her, like, taking a selfie with Jesus and posting it on Instagram and, like, wondering how many likes she has, maybe checking Pinterest for recipes, and it's, like, buzzing, like, the the breaking news push notifications are buzzing as she's trying, she's, you know, following that. That would, that's our context right now. Distraction, even more so in our day and age. So I think we need to, to name this and just be aware of the, the ways that the cultural moment we're in is pulling us in many directions, way more directions than Martha was pulled. We have the whole world in our pockets pulling us in thousands of directions at any given moment. We live in a day of efficiency, and we have fast food, fast transit, 
I don't know if this still exists, but a few years ago, I came across a product called Easy Mac. And like Easy Mac was a faster version of mac and cheese. So like eight minutes is too long. So we need to make a three-minute version, this microwave version. It tasted terrible. But you know, that's, that's our cultural moment right now. We just have things are moving fast. And it is fragmenting us and causing us to struggle to actually be still and to attend to that which is important. Nicholas Carr is a journalist, and he's written a lot about the effects of technology on our mind and on our soul. And this is an observation that I found helpful about how we engage online spaces. He says, when we go online, we enter an environment that promotes cursory reading, hurried and distracted thinking, and superficial learning. And so even as the internet grants us easy access to vast amounts of information, it is turning us into shallower thinkers literally changing the structures of our brain. And so these things that we carry in our pockets, the ways we engage in, in media, is not neutral. It, it is actually shaping us. And I don't know if you've experienced this. Nicholas Carr goes on to say that he struggles to sit and read books now, like he used to be an avid reader. But his engagement with these media platforms is making it hard for him to just be still. He's just so used to being going from one thing to the next, Cursory reading, fast reading, that's actually changing the structures of our brain. Our brains are being pulled in many directions. And I want us to notice that this actually has important implications for our spiritual formation. We've been talking about this in our media and spirituality class. Uh, Elliot and I have been teaching that this is fragmenting us. It's causing us to be able to, or is causing us to, to struggle to attend to that which is important, that which is good and true and right. These things are affecting us. As I think about spiritual formation, how we grow in discipleship, on the one hand, I, I'm really concerned about like giving good content. We work on good teaching and I put time into sermons, but I think sometimes we need to step back a bit and say, what kind of containers are we? Can we even contain the content, these resources, uh, because of how we're being formed by these cultural forces right now? There's a a well-known quote that's been ascribed to some different people. I don't know who first said it. Maybe Augustine. I'm not sure. But uh, this, this quote that says, Tell me how you pray, and I'll tell you how you live. But then the flip side of that, tell me how you live, and I'll tell you how you pray. You see, how we engage outside of worship, outside of our prayer time, how we live is going to affect how we relate to God and to one another, how we enter into contemplation and prayer. And so if we have a frantic pace, if we're pulled in many directions, it's going to be normal for us to struggle when, we, when Jesus is calling us to sit at his feet to actually pay attention. And friends, I'm just naming that as someone who is with you in that struggle. Uh, and I suspect that that's something that, like Martha, we struggle with. When Jesus is right there inviting us to come and sit, we find our mind in a thousand places. So there's distraction The second barrier we notice in this text is similar, but it goes a little bit deeper. We read uh, that Martha not only is dealing with distraction, but she also is overcome with many worries and troubles. And so we read in uh, verse 41, Martha, you are worried and upset by many things. 
You're worried and upset by many things. Now, this is similar to distraction, and perhaps you've experienced this when you go to sit and worship. You find yourself just drawn back to those things that you're worried about, those concerns that we no doubt all carry, the troubles that we are holding. So it's not just an external landscape of media and schedules and busyness that pull us in many directions. Our internal space is often clouded with angst as we are carrying a lot of things, and it's hard for us to to attend to Jesus. Does that name something for you today? Again, I'm with you in that. This past year, there's been some struggles to sit and listen as we've been navigating a pandemic and as we've moved and as I have two four-year-old twins pulling me at least in two directions and just the concerns we have for our kids. It's normal for us to, to be overcome with those anxieties and worries and it it becomes a barrier to, to prayer and to engagement. If that's where you come today, can I just encourage you to, to perhaps see an opportunity to, to turn those fears and those anxieties into prayers? I think sometimes we feel guilty about distractions and anxieties in our prayers, and we're like, we've got to get rid of them so we can focus. But maybe there's like an invitation that God is saying, the reason why these things are coming to your mind are because they're things that you need to come to me with. And we see David do this a lot in his prayer life. He turns his anxieties not into just restless thoughts, but he turns them into prayers to bring his prayers and petitions before God so that that peace that passes understanding can guard our hearts and our minds. So we all come with these distractions and troubles. I think there's an invitation from Jesus to come and bring those to him in prayer. The last barrier that I want to notice is something we may miss as 20th century, 21st century readers, because there's something going on culturally here that is actually quite surprising. We find this text a little bit scandalous in its own ways because we're wondering why Jesus is confronting Martha for cooking a meal. But to first century listeners, there's a deeper scandal here that we might miss because there are some, I believe, cultural expectations that have been placed on Martha that are getting in the way of her feeling like she's invited to sit at Jesus' feet. I want to read a a couple quotes from N.T. Wright, a great New Testament scholar who just has a good read on on the culture in uh, this early early time. And he, he writes this. The real problem was that Mary was behaving as if she were a man. In that culture, as in many parts of the world to this day, houses were divided into the male space and the female space, and male and female roles were strictly demarcated as well. Mary had crossed an invisible but very important boundary within the house, and another equally important boundary within the social world. For a woman to settle down comfortably among the men was bordering, bordering on the scandalous. And I think this is part of Martha's reaction, that she is wondering why Mary is in that space, because she is crossing a line. This is actually scandalous in the ancient world. And it's equally scandalous in the religious culture of the day. And so N.T. Wright goes on to say this, to sit at someone's feet meant quite simply to be their student. And to sit at the feet of a rabbi was what you did if you wanted to be a rabbi yourself. There is no thought here of learning for learning's sake. Mary had quietly taken 
her place as a would-be teacher and preacher of the kingdom of God. This is part of the scandal of this text. Mary, in this text, has gone to seminary. She's enrolled in Bible school. And women don't go to seminary and Bible school in the ancient world. And, and so that's part, part of the, the scandal here. And the barrier that I want to name here that we can apply probably in a lot of different ways is the barrier of cultural expectations. That culture is telling Mary that she doesn't belong in that space as a disciple. She doesn't belong there. And because of that barrier, Martha is feeling this tension and this angst. And she has been shaped by those cultural values and is wondering why Mary is, is sitting where she shouldn't. Where she shouldn't. And I, I just wonder if there are some cultural expectations that we live in that keep us out of the room with Jesus. That get in the way of us in embracing this invitation to come and be disciples. For some of us, it, it might even be this cultural barrier that has been named in this text. And I just want to speak a word of encouragement to the women in our congregation that maybe are feeling a sense of call to, into, to ministry, that Jesus invites you into that role. That's part of one of our, our covenant values, rooted not just in cultural values today, but in the scriptures themselves, we see how Jesus is elevating women into would-be teachers and preachers of the gospel. And I just want to encourage you on your journey because perhaps you have heard that that is not an okay space for you to be in. There is a, a retreat that uh, my boss, Don Taylor, our assistant superintendent, is going to be putting on in a few weeks called Exploring Call, Vocational Discernment for Women in Ministry. And if there are people that are in our congregation that are, are thinking, wondering where God might be calling them into into ministry. I'd love to empower that and encourage that, point you in that direction. So there are cultural expectations that sometimes keep us out of the room, and, and that's the, the one that's presented in our text. But I wonder if there are other cultural expectations that get in the way of us sitting at the feet of Jesus that would apply to, to all of us today. And and I think one cultural expectation that's also present in this text is the expectation of productivity and busyness. We live in a culture that values busyness and productivity and working our way up the vocational ladder and making as much money as we can. And sometimes I think we get caught up in that, that we start to prioritize working more and more and the tending to our soul and carving out space for reflection and prayer gets sidelined because of the cultural drive to produce and do more. Do you feel that, perhaps, today? Is that an unsaid value that makes it hard for you to feel like it's appropriate to, to take your vacation, to take retreat, to carve out space for religious practice, spiritual practice in our week? I wonder what the cultural values are. I, we could go on. There's some other ones I think about sports. Is <laughs> it just a, a really highly elevated value in our culture? And I love sports, and they're good. But do, does that become more important than carving out space for, for our spirituality? Is that the, the highest value, the hope that my son will make it into the NBA and pay for my retirement? <laughs> so put that above all things, right? 
What are our priorities? What is culture lifting up and saying, this is where you belong, this is what you should invest in? Does that crowd out tending to our soul? Into that, Jesus, I believe, wants to call us to a different way. We live in a world that says, don't just sit there, do something. And I think Jesus is flipping it in our text today to say, don't just do something, sit there once in a while. To create some space for you to, to attend to what's going to fill you up and form you and prepare you for the active life, the spiritual life. It's so countercultural to us. I remember my lead pastor down in Longview uh, during my early years when I was young in ministry and trying to kind of prove myself. I, I remember meeting with him saying, Pastor John, says, John, you know, what do you need me to do right now? What do you need me to do? And he said, Phil, I need you to enjoy your vacation next week. I was about to go on vacation. I need you to just enjoy being with your family and take time to invest in that. What boss says that, right? It was a very countercultural moment. And I was so in this mode of like, I got to prove myself. I want to do more. I want to show that I'm, I'm effective to you. And to have a boss just say, I need you to take care of yourself. See, I think that's what Jesus is saying in this text. We need to not just do something, but sit there. You see, what, what seems like a confrontation, I think, is actually a loving invitation to Martha. There's even some tenderness in the grammar here. Martha, Martha, you are worried and troubled by many things. Come and sit. As the esteemed theologian Julie Rushton told me on my walk with her on Friday, my wife, she said, this text is about invitation, not condemnation of Martha. And I think there's something beautiful in that. The NLT actually translates this, Dear Martha. Like we see Jesus' heart for Martha, seeing the anxiety, the, the frenzy that is crowding out, the fact that Jesus wants to invite her. Uh, Jesus cuts through that with his words. Martha, Martha, dear Martha, you are worried and troubled by many things. Mary has chosen this way that will not be taken from her. And I wonder if Jesus just calls out to you, says your name, and he says, I see you're worried, you're troubled by many things. Come, be still, and know that I am God. Because here's the thing, the reason why I think Jesus says this is the one thing needed is not because we are to neglect other things, is not that we are not called to service or to that good Samaritan life. This is the one thing needed. Why? Because out of sitting and being discipled by Jesus, all the other things will fall into their proper place. As we, as it says in John 15, abide in the love of Christ, we will then bear good fruit. Our capacity to be that good Samaritan requires us to first sit at the feet of Jesus, be shaped by, formed by him, listen to what he desires. Have you ever had somebody buy you a gift and you really didn't want it? Sometimes I think we go ahead of Jesus and we're doing these things and we think this is what Jesus wants, but I wonder how he feels sometimes. Like, I wish you would just kind of listen first <laughs> to hear what I, I really desire for this world before we go out. This is the one thing needed. Why? Because it gives us guidance. It gives us strength to then live into the mission that Jesus asks of us. 
This is a quote from Thomas Merton. Thomas Merton was a Trappist monk, lived a contemplative life, but he was also very engaged in the world and in uh, how we engage works of justice in a world gone wrong. But he, he comments in this, and I think this is helpful, about the, the importance of being still and sitting with Jesus before we get into our activism and to our work. And he says, the frenzy of our activism actually neutralizes our work for peace. It destroys our inner capacity for peace. It destroys the fullness of our own work because it kills the root of inner wisdom, which makes work fruitful. It kills the root, which makes work fruitful. I liken this again to John 15, that instead of getting caught up in the frenzy of work, we need to first abide in, in Christ so that we can bear that good fruit. So we're not like this branch cut off from the limb wondering why we can't produce anything. So we're not just caught up in this frenzy of work, whereas one writer says we end up doing good badly. <laughs> we're doing all these good works, and yet we're coming from a place of angst or a place of ego or a place of frustration or reactivity rather than a centered place where we are filled first by God's Spirit following his voice. I want to leave you with an image. This is an image I shared with our media class last, last week. But I think it really captures what this text is telling us. This is an image from Marc Chagall, and he was a famous painter, and this was painted during the rise of the Third Reich in Germany. And he was a Jewish artist. And the commentary on this text points to the looming chaos and angst in the background, and that's representative of his city and it's representative of the rise of the, the Nazi party and naming the angst that he was carrying as a Jewish man during this time. And yet in the midst of all the chaos and the frenzy, the worries and troubles that could have paralyzed him and overwhelmed him, we see this image of a man who is holding on to a scroll. This image of holding and being rooted in a deeper reality in the word of God. This image of the cow playing a violin is representative of this meditative act. In the Hebrew word for meditation, it's the same word for chewing the cud, as a cow would just chew the cud. And it's this image of meditating on a deeper reality, even though the troubles and the anxieties loom around us. There's the image of the angel, which suggests that there's a deeper, bigger eschatological reality that is bigger than the current angst and the current frenzy. This painting is called Solitude, an invitation for us in the midst of everything to anchor ourselves, root ourselves in Christ, to sit at his feet, to ruminate and listen to what he is saying. Now, this isn't a call to passivity, and Chagall, through his artwork, was being very prophetic and speaking powerfully against these powers that were rising. We we're called to step out as the Good Samaritans and engage, but we can only do so if we have that rootedness where we first sit at the feet of Jesus. So, friends, I don't know where you come today. We come, no doubt, distracted. 
worried and troubled by many things. There are cultural forces that are pushing us away from Jesus today. Would you hear this word, this invitation, not condemnation, this invitation that cuts through the noise, a Jesus who speaks your name, knows you are troubled and worried, and says, come and sit at my feet. This is the one thing needed. Would you join me in prayer? God, I'm grateful for your wisdom, and sometimes it, it jolts us out of our rhythms and our expectations and our beliefs. But I, I just recognize that we come, no doubt, feeling like Martha in many ways today, distracted, worried, troubled. As we now come to your table, I pray that we would abide in your love, that we would meditate on this good news, that we would remember a story that we are prone to forget, that we would be filled and nurtured by your sacrificial love so that we would be prepared to step out again in mission this week. Meet us now, Lord, in this table. We pray in your name. Amen.